It's high noon. Because you're listening to Know the Lord. This is Chris, aka Slur Nerd, on the PlayStation Network and on Twitter and Instagram. And last week I was talking about who some of the potential heroes might be in the future of Overwatch. And guess what? We got one. Blizzard let us know that um, I was somewhat right, kind of, except they're not calling her Sombra, so maybe Sombra is still going to be somebody else, or maybe that was just her code name so that we had a harder time figuring out who she was supposed to be. But we do have Farrah's mom, Ana Amari, as I predicted, and uh, she is a support sniper. Her gameplay looks really awesome. I can't wait to get to play her, and I'm really interested in what some of her backstory is going to be, why everyone thought she was dead. I guess we'll find out. There's going to be an Overwatch panel at San Diego Comic-Con this year, and I'm going to be there along with some of my other co-hosts from other shows. So, as soon as I find out more information about Ana Amari, I will record and put it up. And the description for their panel talks about announcing a new hero, which is confusing since they just announced Ana Amari not a couple days ago from recording this. So, it leads me to believe that either they did this early, or they might announce a second new hero. Either way, I'm sure we'll find out some cool information, and I will definitely give updates the second I have it. But let's get back into the 21 character roster that we currently have. Today I'm going to talk about two of the second generation Overwatch characters that came around after the Omnic Crisis was already over, but before Overwatch met its end. Both of these characters surprisingly have a lot to do with Reaper, and the first one that we're going to talk about is Jesse McCree. So Jesse McCree is the guy rocking the Clint Eastwood cowboy getup in Overwatch, and he's sporting his trusty six-shooter revolver called Peacekeeper. But McCree doesn't just dress the part, he was pretty much an outlaw in every sense of the word. Um, He was part of the Deadlock Gang, he made a name for himself by trafficking weapons throughout the southwestern United States. However, it didn't go unnoticed. So sometime after the Omnic Crisis ended, and while attempting a heist somewhere along Route 66, the Deadlock Gang was captured by Overwatch. And while the rest of the gang was sentenced to prison, McCree was recognized for his expert marksmanship and resourcefulness, so he was given an ultimatum. Join Overwatch's new covert operations team called Blackwatch, or he can join his gang by rotting away in a maximum security prison for the rest of his life. McCree, not really being one to stay in the same place for long, especially prison, decided to join Blackwatch under the leadership of Gabriel Reyes, which, if you've heard the last episodes that I've done, we know, spoiler alert, that Gabriel Reyes is Reaper. Now, while he was originally cynical about his circumstances, something in him eventually changed and he found himself actually enjoying his role in the team. Not only could he stop injustices from occurring without the bureaucracy that the main Overwatch team or other law enforcement groups have to face, but it also gave him a chance to atone for his own sins. His leader, Reyes, took McCree under his wing and taught him how to become an even better fighter in addition to the skills that he already possessed. Finally, McCree started to feel at home within Blackwatch. However, Blackwatch began to change for the worse. They began fulfilling missions that seemed out of alignment with the values that the team was originally founded on. McCree even uncovered elements within Blackwatch that planned to sabotage the rest of the Overwatch team and twist the peacekeeping organization for its own ends. 
Disgusted with what Blackwatch had become, along with his mentor Reyes, Jesse McCree walked away from the team and went underground, knowing that he would once again become a wanted man. After Overwatch was destroyed, McCree resurfaced as a mercenary, picking and choosing to fight for the causes he felt were righteous and just. If not to prove to the world, then to prove to himself that even criminals could still one day become heroes. Despite his actions, he still had a bounty on his head, which means it was really difficult for him to get around in public. So in the McCree short story comic, Train Hopper, we see McCree illegally hitching a ride on a hyper train, which is basically an extremely fast train that can reach one coast of the United States to the other within 8 hours, and it travels up to speeds of 640 kilometers an hour. So nestled in between some of the train cars, he sees several helicopters descend from the sky and keep pace with the train, which seemed really weird. A group of soldiers began to rappel down from the helicopters and infiltrate the train, which really piqued McCree's interest. We know these are Talon agents, and for anyone who missed the first episode, Talon is the big bad terrorist organization of this world. And the reason that this catches McCree's eye isn't because they're Talon, but because they move and fight just like Blackwatch. McCree enters the train and fights with some of the soldiers attempting to steal something. As if to confirm his suspicions, one of the Talon agents immediately recognizes him. McCree is able to dispatch the rest of the soldiers, but when he hears one call for backup, he grabs whatever the device is that they're attempting to steal and he throws it off the train, hoping to prevent them from coming back and injuring or killing any innocent people on the train. Although the passengers and the staff thank him as he settles into his seat, a news report comes online blaming McCree for the trouble instead of Talon. One of the employees lets him know that they've received word from the police who are waiting at the destination point to arrest McCree. McCree thanks him for the information, and when the employee asks what to do, he says to tell everyone the truth of what really happened, but fudge the arrival time a bit so he can get a head start on his escape. So here's a little bit of trivia around McCree. Uh, one thing is if you play him and Reaper on the same team, like I said before, Gabriel Reyes, which was his leader of Blackwatch, became Reaper. So if you play those two together on the same team, they do have an interaction where Reaper talks about how he taught him everything he knows. McCree says something to the effect of not everything. And here's a couple more tidbits about McCree. His belt buckle, which says BAMF, B-A-M-F, is not a reference to Nightcrawler from the X-Men, but it's actually an acronym that stands for Badass Motherfucker, and rightfully so. Also in Route 66, you can find a dartboard with a wanted poster of McCree layered over it. And if you're wanting to find it, it is inside one of the buildings just past the first checkpoint on the left side. But that's it for McCree right now. If you have any questions about him or if you have any bits of trivia that you think I should share, go ahead and let me know. There'll be more information on how to get a hold of me at the end of this episode. But next, we're going to talk about the person who actually turned Reyes into Reaper, and it may or may not surprise you, and that is Mercy. Now, before I get into her story, how about I go ahead and throw out some quick trivia for her, too? In the animation recall, and in some of the starting areas before the match, you can see some old photographs from Overwatch's glory days. In one of those photos, it features Mercy and Torbjorn on Halloween, where Mercy is dressed as a witch. Also, much like McCree, there was a reference to Mercy in the Route 66 map, however, it's been removed due to what it insinuated, which was a magazine suggestively located in an outhouse, with Mercy featured on the cover. So that's it for the trivia, let's get into our actual story. So Mercy's real name is Angela Ziegler, a medical scientist from Zurich, Switzerland. She quickly rose to become head of surgery in one of the more prominent Swiss hospitals until she pioneered an amazing breakthrough in applied nanobiology which made huge strides in the ability to treat life-threatening illnesses and injuries. 
After the Omni Crisis and as Overwatch began expanding into other areas, this was an opportunity that the team could not pass up and they asked Angela Ziegler to join the ranks. But believe it or not, she actually said no. Her parents were both killed during wartime and guessing by her age, which is the mid to late 30s depending on who you reference, they were probably killed during the Omni Crisis. Now at first you might say, hey, Overwatch are the good guys though, they didn't kill your parents. But if you think about things from another perspective, which was similar to this year's Captain America Civil War, yes the Avengers saved people, but how many people didn't get saved? How many were collateral damage instead? This is the problem that Angela Ziegler faced. Because of her loss, she wanted nothing to do with either side of the war, and Overwatch was known as war heroes. However, her need to heal and save people won out in the end, and Overwatch convinced her of the good that she could do with their support, and the good that they could do with hers. She saved plenty of lives in the hospital, but now she could potentially save lives on a much larger scale and accepted a position on the Overwatch team as the head of medical research. As part of her quest to leverage her work and skills to heal the injured on the front lines during a crisis, she developed the Valkyrie Swift response suit, which she usually pilots herself. Using her expertise in nanobiology, she was able to save the life of a man who would later become a prominent member of the Overwatch team by grafting his broken body with armor and parts similar to the Omnics. Even though this act saved his life, actions like this and other events taking place under Overwatch landed them under public scrutiny. Some thought Overwatch was overreaching, while others claimed they were committing atrocities and crimes against basic human rights. And it didn't help that Blackwatch was basically doing just that. Ziegler herself was interrogated by the United Nations after the explosion at the Swiss headquarters that led to Overwatch's downfall. While she was there, she admitted that the outcome was inevitable as the gap between Morrison and Reyes had widened despite her personal efforts. We can only take from this that Mercy may have actually been close with them or had some sort of professional or personal friendship with both Morrison and Reyes. This might explain why Reyes's body found itself in Mercy's hands after the explosion. Now, there's some controversy as to if Reyes was actually dead or not, however, the in-game dialogue between the two seems to confirm that he was. And we actually find out through the in-game dialogue that Mercy was the catalyst that turned Reaper into the monster that he is. If Reaper and Mercy are on the same team, you might hear an exchange where Mercy asks Reaper what happened to him. Reaper then responds, you tell me, Doc, to which Mercy replies that this isn't what she meant for him. We can then surmise that Mercy used her nanobiology technology to do something to Reyes's remains in effort to bring him back to life. Whatever she did accidentally triggered the change in his cellular structure, causing him to rapidly deteriorate and then regenerate by stealing life away from others. So there you have it everyone, we've got a man with the sins of the devil working to become an angel of justice and a woman of pure intention who accidentally created a monster. I can say that out of all the lore I've gathered so far from Overwatch, that the story between Reaper and Mercy is definitely one of my favorites and I'm hoping that we learn more about the relationship that they had in Overwatch. Next week I'm going to go back into the original Overwatch team and cover the rest of the first generation that we know about, which means we're going to talk about Reinhardt and Torbjorn. In the meantime, please rate, subscribe, and comment as every bit's going to help improve the show and check out the other great shows on the podcast network. You can get a hold of me on Twitter, at SlurredNerd, or add me on the PlayStation Network. Again, my handle is SlurredNerd, no spaces, no numbers, or goofy characters. I'm always on Overwatch with Joseph and my wife, and some of the other extended network family, and we'd love to play a match with you guys. But just a disclaimer, I am not an expert by any means. 
We're just there to have fun. So if that sounds good, go ahead and add me, and then send me a message and we'll play a game. I'd also like to know who your favorite heroes are in Overwatch, so definitely get a hold of me. Thanks again for listening, and remember, heroes never die. Know the Lore is recorded and produced by the BSXcluded Network. Visit bsxcluded.com, that's B-S-X-C-L-U-D-E-D.com. Yeah, it is spelled kind of weird. Check out our other amazing shows, or you can check us out on social media by visiting facebook.com slash bsxcluded, youtube.com slash bsxcluded, or you can add bsxcluded on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. Music you heard in the show is the Overwatch Victory theme remixed by DJ Epicsha. Head over to epicsha.com to hear more.